You've tuned into all things fine and gentry with the connoisseur, French Thompson, where consistently we bring you ideas, concepts, and exposure to thoughtful content, lifestyle enhancements, and opportunities to improve yourself and those around you. Thank you for tuning in and taking a listen to this week's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to All Things Fine and Gentry. This is the Connoisseur of French Thompson. And to all my returning listeners, the Connoisseurs, welcome. So glad you've been able to join us today uh, as we continue on in this series called Super Women. And to those that are first-time listeners, welcome. Here at All Things Fine and Gentry, we um, re-engage in conversations and topics about things that are just Awesome, I would say, just because that's my personal bias. But, you know, um, it's really just about exposing ourselves to new ideas, new thoughts, new content and being able to uh, to learn from them and, and better ourselves. So um, regardless of this is your first or your uh, 30th time listening to the podcast, uh, please make sure that you like, subscribe, rate, review. Um, it helps me and my guests know that you think that this is something that's value added. Or even if you don't like it, that helps me know that you don't like it. And I'll just make more content of the same uh, manner. I'm just joking. But no, we uh, appreciate all that you share and um, and tag us on social media. Uh, we will repost and, and connect with you. So as I said, we are in our series called Super Women. And it's been uh, pretty interesting as I was started to put this together. Um, it, it kind of happened out of... Um, I don't call it nowhere, but as I started to write out my guest list for this year, I was like, man, there's so many women uh, that I know that are just killing it in the game. And, um, you know, wanted to have some conversations with them collectively or not, you know, not in one big panel, but essentially, you know, one at a time. And I said, hey, this is let's pull it all together into one large series. And so here we are. So today I have a, a special friend. And as we get into it, we're going to you know, realize uh, why it's special. But um, we'll, we'll kind of talk about uh, her introduction and who she is and everything like that. But we have uh, Dr. Denise Laster on, on with us today. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So glad we can finally find time to get this going. Exactly. Exactly. You are a busy lady. Um, and we're going to dig into why you are super busy. So, uh, as typical on the podcast, I give an opportunity for the guests to be able to kind of introduce themselves, kind of say where they're from, where they live now, um, kind of any, uh, fun facts that the listening audience may want to know, and then we'll kind of just dig into it. All right. Let's see. I am originally from Birmingham, Alabama and have lived in Atlanta Houston, Madrid, Galveston, and now I live in DC. Um, and the fun fact that he alluded to in the intro is I went to college in Atlanta, um, Spelman College, shout out. Yesterday yep. was our founder's day. Woo -woo. Um, 140 years, no big deal. <laughs> um, and yours truly was my Morehouse brother. So one of our awesome traditions is that you get paired with the Morehouse brother um, and a Spelman sister during your freshman year. And we hit it off right away. And clearly, years later, here we are. We want to talk about how many years. Yeah. Um. <laughs> hey, I, I started the hey, other day. The other day, I was talking to my son, and I forgot what we what we were talking about. But somehow, we got on age. And he's like, "Oh, man, when I'm that old, I'm like, really, I'm not, I'm not that old." But you know, I started thinking, like, ah, I guess I am. But um, yeah. it's a 
it's all relative. It's all relative. So, yeah. So I, I tell you what's, what's interesting about kind of the, the Spelman sister Morehouse brother connection is that I don't call it, call it random, but like you don't you don't know anything about this when you come on campus. Right. You have this whole new student orientation and all these things you're being uh, indoctrinated with uh, knowledge about your schools. And then it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, you're going to be paired with a, a lady across the street. And of course, half the guys are like, cha-ching, this is my my path to freedom. Um, but it was really cool. It was really cool. And, and I don't remember exactly how we, do you remember exactly how it happened? Was it like we were just kind of lined up or something like that? Yes, we, they had us both, all both um, classes lined up and we like kind of walked into a procession <laughs> and it was so weird how they did it actually. It's like, now that I think back, it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to marry these people. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But literally, you just walked out of whoever was next. All right, that's your brother. That's your sister. But yeah, it was so fun. I remember them saying, look, guys, you shouldn't date your Morehouse mm-hmm. brother. You should, like, it should be a connection. It gets in, like, date his friends or something. So yeah, that was the funny part. It's, it's, I mean, when you look back at it, you're kind of like, would I want my daughter to go through that? But it's it's cool. I think it's, cool. it's it's been awesome as far as the friendships that have been developed and um, and everything like that. All right. So S. Spellman. Because you, you lived across the world a little bit here. Uh, what did you study? Like, what did you pursue? I was psychology pre-med. Um, I always knew I wanted to be a physician. Mm. But at the time, I really thought I wanted to be a psychiatrist. I actually thought I was going to be a psychiatrist. in that was my med school, like, personal statements. I really th- I thought I was going to do psychiatry. I loved it. I love, like, the mind. I love thought. I love how people work. Um, and then during third year rotations. I did my psych rotation in a psych hospital. And I was like, wow, this is a little different from reading about it. And I was like, yeah, they don't follow the rules of the book. The book is supposed to do A, B, and C. They get better. The world is halfway up after. And I realized real quick in the psych world, it does most of the time does not happen that way. Wow. Um, and I, I, I recognized then that I, lo- I still love reading about it. And I'm still interested in it. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't my thing. And then I realized um, what my the first thing um, in med school that I was like actively going after and doing research that I wasn't required to do, because it's so much you're required to do in med school, was okay. GI. Mm. Um, and so and GI when I found being... my gastroenterology, sorry. Right. <laughs> um, and when I found myself like looking at papers outside of things that would assign us, I'm like, who am I? What, what is happening here? Um, <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, okay, I'm interested in this. I like this. Let me dig into a little bit more and did some rotations and realized, huh, it's, it's a lot more to this. Mm. Um, you get kind of the best of all worlds. Um, I get to do procedures, both kind of um, routine procedures, but also emergent procedures where people are bleeding and you get to stop it. And people are like, that's weird, but it's cool. I'm shaking my um, head like, no, nope, that doesn't <laughs> excite me at all. I mean, it's so like when you walk into the room and there's like blood everywhere, it's like on the floor and you're going to be the person that stops it. It's kind of cool. No, no. <laughs> Only us weirdos. <laughs> but and then I realized that you also get to do sort of clinic and routine stuff and, so, you know, help patients in that way. And I soon found out real quick that there was a huge connection between the mind and the gut. And mm. they call the gut the second brain. And so there's a lot of psych that I get to still do definitely in good. within GI. So what, I realized it all it all became full circle. Did, did you have like any doctors or anything like that in your family, mentors? Like, how did you know? early on and, you know, age 19, 20, that this is what you wanted to do. 
It's funny. There's there's no physicians in my family, but I had a black female pediatrician mm. um, who had a black nurse. And it was just sort of what I always saw, nice. you know. Nice. And the funniest thing is my mom told I remember um, she gave me Tylenol for like, I don't know, let's say a headache one day. And then maybe the next week she gave it to me again for something else. And I was like, wait, lady, <laughs> you just gave me this medicine for a headache. How does the pill when I follow this pill, how does it know which way it goes? How does it know to go up or down? And my mom, who hates all things blood and is completely like marketing, you know, vice president, like she does not. She she's like, look, child, go. I, I don't know. Go ask your father and like take this medicine because it's going to work. I don't know how it works, but it does. And so and I and actually I was I was like four. And I remember for saying I'm going to be a doctor when I grow up because awesome. I want to know why this works. And apparently ever since then, that has been my 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 mindset. I really wanted to know. I was so annoyed that she couldn't tell me. I wanted to know. She's like, take this medicine. I don't have time to talk to you about this right now. That's awesome. But yeah, that was me. An annoying awesome. four year old. <laughs> All right. So so you're you're in this um <clears throat> this field of study, uh uh gastroenterology. Um I had to practice that several times. Um or GI for short. Um kind of what is it, right? And then kind of how have you kind of progressed in this field um in regards to like, I mean I, I have a base knowledge of people going to med school and then, you know, going on rotations and then, you know, you know all this type of stuff. But kind of what is it that you um, are, are an expert in? And then kind of, you know, how did you grow into essentially where you are now having your own practice? OK, um, so gastroenterology is I tell people it's everything from the mouth to the anus. So it's your gastrointestinal tract. Mm. So that includes so and also I think of the liver and the gallbladder and the pancreas as well. Okay. So those are sort of all things in our wheelhouse. And so if somebody so the most common complaints are sort of heartburn, like uh, GERD, abdominal pain, um, sort of constipation, diarrhea. And then you have patients that have sort of what are called inflammatory bowel diseases. There's, you know, the colon cancers, mm. um, liver cancers, cirrhosis. Um, uh, let's see, pancreatic diseases as well. Pancreatic, we, we diagnose pancreatic cancers a lot. We don't treat it, but it's kind of get to get to tissue. Mm. Um, and so um, when we think of sort of the procedure is the upper endoscopy, colonoscopy um, are the most common things that most that everybody will go to colonoscopy. Um, but the, the things that are less common are kind of advanced procedures like the ERCP or EUS, which is when we're going into the bile ducts of the, and going towards the, the liver and the pancreas and that sort of thing. Or somebody has like a gallstone that's stuck. Mm. Um, so it's really cool and sort of being able to, to sort of kind of get that instant gratification, but non-invasively. So a patient wakes up and goes home the same day. That's good. Um, yeah. So it's sort of a, a cool feel in that you get, get to sort of, not only you have an idea of what the diagnosis may be, and then you do a procedure and you're able to see it right. up close. And so, and take pictures and show the patient. Most of them are skeeved out by it. Like, why are you giving me these pictures? But most yeah. of then so the other half of them, wanted, they're like, okay, now I understand what you mean. This is actually the inside of my stomach. That's no, cool. like these random videos you, you post on social <laughs> where it's like pink matter and all this stuff. You're like, oh, I love how this looks. I'm like, this is throw up. That's, I'm oh good. my goodness. <laughs> Whatever. It's beautiful. Um, and then I'll say, so you said, mentioned, so how do, how did we get here? So yeah. from med school, um, Where did you go to med you, school? Uh, University of Texas medical nice. branch. Okay. So, yeah. And after med school, you apply for residency. And so to get to GI, you have to do an internal medicine residency first. Mm. 
um, which is general general medicine. And then during so you have to learn sort of all the baseline sort of stuff of you know the entire body and be able to work in the hospital and the outpatient setting. And then you do all the different rotations to make to see if you want to specialize like cardiology, nephrology, gastroenterology, infectious disease. Sort of the whole the whole nine endocrinology you do all those rotations okay. during your residency um and that's typically when people figure out what they want to do but I, I think i knew before that gi was sort of my thing however gi is a very 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 male dominated field mm-hmm. so <laughs> very male dominant um and it's so it's sort of interesting so because they always say you know they kind of look at you like mm, are you sure you want to do gi um but so it's fun now because there's more women getting into GI. And I don't know why it was so, you know, what's so manly about it, right. but um, definitely male dominates. Even on your interviews, it's mostly guys. Um, and then you're like one of two girls. Uh, most programs m- maybe would only have except one girl a year. And the programs really? are very small. So it's a very competitive specialty too. So not only is, you know, it's mostly males, but it's also super competitive to get right. in. So you may have, you know, 100, 200 applicants to a program, but they have four slots. Um, why, why is it why is it that way is it just because it's a smaller field or more specialized or i mean what's um it's more specialized but also i think it's, it's also become more popular over mm. the last few years as well so more people are interested but the same number of spots that Got are available and and sort of the spots are kind of funded they're by the government and so it's you know it's only an allotment because they need more of sort of primary things like primary care internal medicine family medicine and so I guess, they're, I guess they're thinking is they don't need as many gastroenterologists, so they don't need to sponsor as many spots. Got so it, most it. hospitals have like three to four spots a year. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And some, some of them too. So yeah, it's even worse at some, some places. So it's like hitting the lottery when you like get an interview, first of all, because you're like, all right, I got a shot to get in the door now. Um, but then you'd realize they're interviewing maybe 20 to 30 people yeah. out of these, like, you know, however many applicants for these two to four spots. So, so where did you hit the lottery then? I fortunately was able to stay at my home team. So I went, did my internal medicine residency at Georgetown and was able to stay on there nice. at Georgetown. So, so it was nice. I didn't have to move and all that stuff. Cause I was like, you have literally like two days to move by the time you finish residency and have to start your training. Yeah. It's painful. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it is. It is definitely a haze for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would like my doctor to be a little less stressed, but okay. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, yeah. The calls and yeah, I do miss, I don't miss trading. It was fun from like a perspective of sort of the relationships you build right. and sort of, you know, you're always in like a high stress. There's always so much drama at a tertiary center. It's always something going on. But um, so, yeah, you definitely bond with your co-fellows and co-residents. It's like you went through war together. Yeah, so I imagine. It's, it's crazy. So it's, is it is it like a real life? This is so random is it like a real life version of scrubs you remember that show god no it's always <laughs> funny when i see when i see those like like shows on television i'm like oh god there's nothing <laughs> like this like how nice those call rooms are in gray's anatomy yeah right hey there's no time to sleep or like they like having sex in the hospital I'm like, come on <laughs> but your pager is gonna go off 20 times there is no way that it's happening um so yeah, that part is funny. And I'm like, I didn't even want to like, when I did have time to go to the call room and possibly lay down for, you know, an hour, it was like, I don't even want to lay in this bed. It's like gross anyway. And the room is gross. I used to bring like a blanket to lay on top of, um, in case I had a moment to like lay down for a second. So it's funny when you see those shows, it is 
nothing like that or how like the resident does like everything they go from doing an endoscopy which is what gi does to doing a surgery i'm like yeah that doesn't happen that is no no they have to stay in their lane that's not their specialty <laughs> <laughs> not where does not work like that i'm not doing brain surgery and nor do you want me to do brain surgery that's true. so that's true yeah all right so funny. so so you get to georgetown so you you've yep. done atlanta really <laughs> birmingham to atlanta to texas to dc and then yep. you end up in spain in Madrid <laughs> for all matters. What, what, how did that happen? Because I'm crazy. Um, so, um, so then when I was in my second year of GI fellowship, um, I went to this fellows conference that had this guy that was talking about sort of weight management and mm. obesity training and knew these new procedures that had come out to help with weight loss, but not invasively. And I'd already started getting interested in sort of nutrition and sort of, I'm like, it's the, it's the GI tract. That's what we do. And we're not taught nutrition. Mm. I have all these patients that come in that get negative endoscopy, negative colonoscopy, but they still have abdominal pain. They still have mm. heartburn. They still have all of this stuff. So I'm like, so we really haven't helped them. We've ruled out that they don't have cancer or anything big, bad, and ugly, but they still have these symptoms. So like they, they're not happy, but right. they, the thing they came for is still existing. And then when I you know, started thinking about it, the more you would talk to people, it would be, all right, so when do you have these symptoms? And I never forget one patient like, well, you know, every time I have Panda Express or Wendy's <laughs> or Taco Bell, and I was sitting there waiting for her to like connect the dots. Like it's because of this food you're eating, right? Mm. Um, but no one wants to hear that. Most Americans want like a quick fix. They want a pill. They don't want to hear that it's anything that they're contributing to. And her point was, I've eaten this my whole life. What's the problem now? I'm like your body has gotten older and it's trying to tell you, Look, it's I time out this. for this. Let's let's save the arteries here. Let's 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 do better, please. Um, but then I realized um, I was like, I don't. I know how to tell people how I eat, but that's not based on any evidence. That's mm. just how I eat. So and I wasn't. And no one really. We're so focused in GI training on sort of prevention, in a sense, okay. uh, not prevention on like secondary prevention. So once somebody already has cirrhosis because they had fatty liver, once right. they already have colon cancer, let's take it out. Once they are, you know, once they've already had a thing, we're focused on fixing it. It's reactionary. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of preventative. And I'm like, so what, what can I do about this? How can I learn more about this? So first I did, um, I got accepted to a nutrition fellowship um, because I like to do things that are ridiculously competitive <laughs> that I have low shots of getting and they accept six a year. <laughs> and so I wasn't expecting to get it. So I got that one. So that was cool. So then I was able to learn sort of evidence in nutrition and mm. so how to help people and learned all of this stuff that I'm like, wow, the last six years I've been treating patients, I could have been doing so much more. Wow. Like all these people like that I did, I don't feel like I really helped, like maybe small amount, but it could have been so much better had mm. I had that knowledge. Um, and then because I like procedures and I did that, um, that fellows chorus with one of the, my mentors at Brigham, um, Chris Thompson, who like revolution, revolutionized sort of endoscopic sort of weight management procedures in the U.S. And so I go up and talk to him after his talk. I'm like, hey, like, I think I want to do this. How, how can I how can I be down? Like, yeah. I've never even heard of this stuff. Um, and he's like, oh, well, we're having, you know, a dedicated course just to this. And, and it was actually for attendings. And I was a second year fellow at that time. And so he's like, you can come, just tell him, I mean, just tell him I say you can come. And so I'm like, okay. And I walk in and at the table, like doing like the, like the sutures, you can kind of practice on a pig model. 
And they're all talking about like their, you know, real jobs. And here I am as the only fellow. And they're like, oh, where, where are you? They, like they see my name text is George. And like, oh, you, you're faculty at George. And I'm like, no, I'm actually <laughs> a second year fellow. Don't mind me. Um, yeah. And then I ended up going to Brigham to actually kind of see him in action. And then he was able to. And so I said, you know what, as a gastroenterologist, I want to be able to offer the full breadth. So now that I'm, I'm going to get nutrition, trained in nutrition, board certified in nutrition, I'm also going to be board certified in obesity medicine so I can understand obesity right. and sort of, because it's not just sort of the old thing of you don't have willpower, you eat mm. too much. It's not sort of, you know, that's sort of the, uh, uh, you know, the stigma that's surrounded and why people don't want to talk about it. But I wanted to learn how do I approach it? How do I talk about it? What are the other factors and how do we reduce those factors? So went to all of those conferences, learned that, got board certified in obesity medicine, and then my the mentor at Brigham, who initially got me interested in the first place, right. was said, hey, what about would you want to go to Madrid? And, and there's like this um, a world renowned expert who I met at sort of the big GI conferences because they're all the big guys from around the world come to the conferences and talk about their research. And mm -hmm. you're like sitting in the audience like, oh, my God, that's <laughs> so exciting. Um, he has so many of these. And so I met the guy before, but like briefly, they meet so many people at these right. conferences. And right. I remember. So. He's like, oh, um, and all of these guys are super ADHD, right? People, everybody in G <laughs> GI mostly is. And so he sends me this message. And I'm like, yeah, right. I'm going to go to Madrid. He's going to answer an email from this little girl in like DC. Sure, that's going to work. Um, and I, I like, I'm like, fine, I'll send the email. Of course, that'd be great. Who the heck turns down going to Madrid? Right, so right. I'm like, all right. Yeah. And to learn from this guy who's like been doing this for like 15 years. So, um, so I respond to the email of reply all and the guy responds, Dr. Nice. Lopez Nava. And he's like, sure. He goes, I'm in like Portugal right now, but like, I'll be back in Madrid on like Monday. Let's, let's chat at this time. And so we play phone tag a bit because he's a guy not considering the <laughs> time difference, of course, still a man. Um, <laughs> what is gotta that? love him. What? That's all right. You I'm, know I'm how let, you guys are. You, you know this, how y'all are. This is a superwoman series. So I'll let you just go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. He's so much fun. But and so then we, you know, started chatting and I'm thinking to myself, like, how, you know, is this really going to work? Am I really going to be able to come here and learn to do these procedures with this guy, um, with this high volume center, much higher volume than any center in mm. the U.S. Um, and it worked. And I was like, until the, up to like the last minute when I was going, I was still like, are we, are, are we sure this is really going to work? But it was cool. And I was able to to move to Spain, sort of, he had did procedures literally three days a week, which is unheard of in wow. the U.S. as far as like volume and would have, you know, five, six procedures a day would be like nothing for him. Wow. And he he does them like so quick because he's so used to them. Um, and so learning his way of doing things and sort of after sort of so much trial and error over the years, as these procedures have like evolved over time. And his way of doing it to avoid sort of complications, that sort of thing, was so different from what I'd seen in the U.S. Um, and so refined um, that it was just sort of an incredible experience. And to see, like, their clinic was so robust in that they had a psychologist, an endocrinologist, and they, like, and, which is what you really need, which is what we really don't have a lot of in the U.S., um, which I think we're finally getting there to get psychologists that are trained in sort of what goes on in sort of the mind in somebody who's addicted to food or have a sugar addiction or has, that, you know. That's really interesting, right? Because one, I was going to ask, and you already kind of talked about it, but I was going to ask, <clears throat> why was it so different there, right? Why yeah. in Spain, 
does he have a much more much more robust practice, et cetera? But then mm-hmm. you start breaking this down and saying, "Hey, this is truly a a a total health model, right? It isn't just treating the symptom, but understanding mm-hmm. what's really going on behind the scenes." And, exactly. and to your point, it is an addiction, right? I mean, it's I mean, people kind of look down on smoking or drinking mm-hmm. or something like that, but the same way that uh, you sit there and you're watching TV and the next thing you know, here's a commercial for some fast food that trigger in your brain mm-hmm. says, I want exactly. that. And that's purposeful. They, yeah. you know, that's that they pay people to, to be able to trigger these emotions in you. So it's so true. Um, yeah. And I think one of the other reasons you just asked, so why is it more robust? I think because these procedures aren't covered by insurance and mm. they're not covered by like abroad either. Um, I think, in Europe, people are more accustomed to sort of paying for healthcare more so than the U.S. In the U.S., I think people are accustomed to things being covered by insurance. They shouldn't have to pay for things unless it's like plastic surgery. Then they understand that. But I think that's one of the limiting factors in the U.S. Um, it, one fortunate thing is it just got a, the um, balloons just got um, endorsed by one of our sort of big societies, the AGA. So I think that's a step in the right direction that it'll start to be, you know, covered. So now we keep submitting all of this data to show them, look, this is effective. This is helping people. So so this isn't, this is just a, you made a comment. This isn't a, uh, a healthcare, U.S. healthcare um, uh, deep dive here. But do you believe, or just in general, do you think that the reason that uh, Americans don't do what they need to do in regards to taking care of their health. Well, one of the reasons is because they don't want to pay, right? I mean, ultimately to, to the point mm-hmm. of saying, hey, these are the, this, it may be something a little extra. You may have to have a better coat or a larger copay, or it may not be covered, right? It's just very interesting American health versus the rest of the world, right? It just seems that mm-hmm. we don't take our health as seriously as others do. And I'm wondering what are the factors that kind of play into that? I think there are a lot of factors. And that's, that's such a good question. Um, I think um, I think a lot of it is sort of our American culture right. in that, you know, we're so fast paced. We don't slow down. We don't take time to even think about it. Like if you have a symptom, a lot of people just ignore it. Mm. Or, and you'll ask people, too, and they come in like, how, how long? Something you're like, how long have this been going on? They're like, I mean, well, it happened like five years ago. Then it stopped and then it came back mm. and then it stopped. You know, so there's so much of I have to go to work. There's, yeah. So I think one piece of it is like in most countries, sick leave is not they don't have a, a number of days that they can take for sick leave. It's if you're sick, you don't take come it. to work. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so and you go take care of it. Um, and whereas it's not prioritized here, it is you're penalized. You know what I mean? Yeah. I remember being I've been being at work. I literally they have a picture of me as a resident getting IV fluids in a call room because my intern was like trying to find the nicest way possible to tell me I look like crap because I had been, <laughs> I had like food poisoning. I had been vomiting and I was super dehydrated. I couldn't keep anything down. So I just, every time I would try to take something, I would vomit. So I was like, I'm not going to try. But I, I was like, if I call in, then that means somebody else gets screwed and like, mm. you know, blah, blah, blah. So whatever, I'm just going to suck it up and like walk around this hospital looking like death. And <laughs> finally, one of the ICU nurses is like, come in here and like, gave me fluids at work. And I'm literally on the phone answering the page and have a picture there. They're like joking around and took a picture of me like, and that's like, like rewarded. You know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, you should. And I feel like that's part of our problem. And the other piece of it is exactly what you just said is the food industry and lobbying industries. And I did a deep dive on this in the study I did a couple of years ago, but 
sort of how we got so much processed food is so much crap here in the U.S. that you can't get in any other yep. country. Yep. Um, and, and it's a reason for that because they actually are, are looking at some of these emulsifiers and additives and all of these processed foods. And I think that's a huge part of it, which I try to get my patients off of, but it's like, and that becomes an addiction to these processed foods because they hit certain centers of the brain that are highly for like this highly high, like what it's called highly palatable. Mm. And so they make the food softer. So they're easier to chew because I studied all of this stuff that makes, and they put food colors and dyes and things that make them brighter and more vibrant. So they make them more attractive. And, and so there's all of these other factors and conveniences, you know, glamorized too. So the quicker you can get things, the better, the bigger you can get something, the better. Um, supersize sort of everything. And, you know, whatever is convenient and cool is what is cool in the U S whereas, in Europe, like a people walk around, be like processed food is seen as ugh. Mm. Um, they want like a real meal, and they're gonna take their time, and they don't need to eat like you know, um, you know, a massive twelve right. ounce steak. You know what I mean? And that's not normal. That wouldn't be seen as normal. We, you we, know? Just, we just lost half our listeners right there when you when you downsize the steak. No, we, we can't I do know. that. No, it, it's, it, it's, it's very interesting, <laughs> right? Because, um, <clears throat> you know, and we'll we'll get. I mean, this actually goes straight into your practice here, but like. You know, this unfortunately is, is like now this new fad of, you know, uh, 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 plant based diet. Right. Or this new thing of, hey, you know, we need to eat like this and, you know, have uh, super fruits and superfoods and the darker the green, the better. And it was interesting that I'm kind of thinking about this because my son, he's seven. He's getting more teeth come in, um, uh, et cetera. And. Uh, you know, he's kind of like, well, what are these for? And I'm like, well, they're just, they're mm. your molars, right? And they're to be able to help chew things. And, you know, he's, he loves dinosaurs. He's like, oh, like an herbivore, mm. right? And I'm like, yes, we're, we are technically herbivores, right? We're not, you know, yeah. we're not carnivores. Uh, we're not necessarily made completely that way. Yeah. Um, but there's this mindset of, hey, this is what you do. You just eat meat all the time, meat and potatoes, mm-hmm. et cetera, which honestly, I think half of that is also a, a, uh, uh uh, European Anglo esque um, type of uh, culture thing that happened mm-hmm. for a while. Like I've you know, talked to people before. This is just my an aside here. My soap, soap, little soapbox, little mini soapbox here, <laughs> right? If you think about cultures and you think about the food that came from different cultures, you know, in Africa you had an abundance of greenery, you had abundance of all these other types of food, so you had a very diverse diet. When you went to northern climates, right? In Europe, in Poland, and you know, in London, all they could grow was potatoes, right? And so that's what they ate. Whereas in you know the uh, the indigenous folks in America, the folks in Africa, even the folks in Asia had this rich uh, geography and geology, which provided them with a rich diversity of food. Therefore, they ate better. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll leave I'll leave it there. There's a, there's a lot to kind of unpack there because. If you then There's, look at what what then our diet is reflecting a lifestyle or a mm-hmm. geographic area that we don't the reason you had to eat potatoes when you lived in the Nordic countries because you had sunlight for two two hours a day and you couldn't yeah. hunt and you had to do all this other stuff. But all right. Yeah. You you, you put me on hundred percent. Yeah. All oh, right. Yeah. So so <clears throat> you're you're in Spain, you're living it up, you're doing you know, bullfights and all these types of things. And then you <laughs> you make your way back to to the U.S. and you open mm-hmm. Gut Theory Total Healthcare, right? So tell yeah. us about that, right? Because this is 
this is just, just the, the superwoman stats here, right? <laughs> Where not only do I, you know, defy all odds to get into a very competitive program, I go all the way to Spain, you know, study under the best of the best. And now you come back and say, oh, just go back to a regular hospital. No, I'm going to open up my own shop. Boom, let's go. So tell us about um, why you decided to open up your own practice, as well as the basis behind what gut theory is about um, and then kind of how it's been uh, since you've 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 opened up shop. Well, let's see. Um, so it started when I, I was applying for, you know, researching jobs during third year fellowship, like everybody does, you know, going on interviews, kind of the, the thing of do I stay academic, um, mm. which is, you know, they're taught that, oh, academic is better. Do you stay at the academic center? Do you just stay at Georgetown? Um, or do you go to private practice, which is sometimes poo-pooed, but, you know, you have a better lifestyle, whatever. And so when I'm interviewing with these places, and I know that at this point that I care about nutrition and I right. care about sort of um, obesity management, um, I, I, I realized I didn't want to be doing, you know, 20 screening colonoscopies a day. And while I think they are important, and of course, you know, that's what, you know, part of what my job is, that wasn't all I wanted to do. You yeah. know what I mean? I didn't only want to be talking to patients for, you know, the 15 minute appointment window that you get for each patient yeah. to talk about their abdominal pain that they've had for 20 years. And what do you, what can you do in 15 minutes? Yeah. No one's going to be happy with you because you can barely get through what their family history is in 15 minutes. Right. So, and I realized that I'm interviewing all these places and I'm not feeling it. Mm. And I'm like, I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do. And have I really just spent like 15 years right. getting here right. to, to do, to, to still do something that I don't want to do. Like you have to do things you don't want to do during residency and fellowship because you have to learn everything. So mm -hmm. whether you like it or not, it's like, okay, you got to do a nephrology rotation. Yes. I'm glad I learned that stuff, but do I ever want to do it again? No. Got it. Um, and so I decided I'm like, I, I don't. And so in my brain, I said, you know what? I want to um, start my own practice. And so at that, no one teaches you how to do that though. Um, and it's like, oh, of course you can't do that right now. You know, you need to, you're just fresh, you know, you're new and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, of course you do, you don't, you can't do that, whatever. And so during that time when I was doing a nutrition fellowship and I was planning for obesity medicine and, you know, publishing, I did what's called locums. And so it was kind of learning the game a little bit yeah. by working at different hospitals and kind of seeing how different things work because I've been at Georgetown for six years. So that's all I knew. Mm -hmm. um, and so that kind of gave me a little bit of an idea of, okay, what, like, what do I do? How do I do this? And speaking to sort of other friends that had practices um, and sort of just trying to get an idea of sort of where to start. And when I was, you know, it was, you know, coronavirus and yeah. I was like, okay, it's either, it, my point was, I was like, so what am I going to do? I'm like, either, it's either now or never. I was like, I, I still, my mindset hasn't changed. I still don't want to go to a hospital. I right. still don't want to do that. I still don't want to kind of be forced to do a thing that I know isn't helpful. And that's what I'm going to have to do if you go to a private practice or a hospital. You're going to be forced to just to stick within their model of seeing patients every 15 minutes of doing these, you know, they want you to just to do procedures because those are where their numbers come from. Mm. And I'm like, that's not helping people, for, for example. That's so and I, and I knew what helping people was. Helping people is going to be talking to them to get them to understand what healthy eating is and why we care. Because people, you don't feel that your arteries are being clogged until you have a heart attack or a stroke, until it's wow. too late. You don't feel it. Um, you don't feel fatty liver disease. Fatty liver disease is when somebody has excess sort of fat in the middle and it sort of deposits into your, to your liver. And over time, it can become cirrhotic. 
People know cirrhosis from, from alcohol. People know cirrhosis from hepatitis C. They don't understand cirrhosis from fatty liver, which is becoming one of the largest causes of liver transplants in the U.S. Wow. Um, so you get these little old ladies who have always been a little pudgy around the middle, you know, always taking care of everybody else, never followed up for themselves, really. And then they have cirrhosis and you have to go in and tell that family that, you know, the only cure for this is for them to get a liver transplant. And Jeez. it's like, you know. So these are things that I'm like, we're, I want to be able to help. There's, I know that I have these tools now and I have too many of these tools not to use them. That's real. Um, and so that's what gut theory is. Gut theory is, you know, gut theory, total digestive care. And it's, and I, you know, and I talk to people about it being from gut centered. And so no matter what you do, whether you have, you know, go to a surgeon and have a gastric bypass or a surgical sleeve. Or if you see me or do something endo by endoscopy, I talk to all of my patients that nothing is magical. Mm. You do not get to go have a gastric bypass and think you're done. And that's your magic fix for the rest of your life. And you can eat whatever you want. No, it is, you know, a lifestyle change. And it is sort of you taking, but finding cool ways to eat things. That's sort of the fun part for me is finding things that people like and switching it um, to, to ways to eat sort of healthy things that make you feel better and help you to lose weight. And so- that's sort of the the center, the goal here is that a no one gets enough fiber in this country because no one eats enough fresh fruits and vegetables, and so everybody is constipated. We always joke, literally, <laughs> this whole country <laughs> is constipated, <laughs> literally, quite literally. And so <laughs> that's the most common thing we see. And so people have abdominal pain, they have bloating, they have nausea, and it's all due to stool. Wow. Um, and so. When I get patients to sort of, you know, and initially we're like slowly changing things and I'm slowly increasing the number of fruits and vegetables they're getting every day. And, and also those things keep you full. Yeah. So there's sort of a trick too. So higher fiber foods, higher plant-based proteins um, keep you fuller because they, that's physiology, they digest slower, right? Um, and so therefore you're full for a longer period of time. And so sort of use those as my tricks. But then the other thing that people will notice at the same time, like I'm still a gastroenterologist. So like, man, I have a bowel movement every day now. I don't have to, I'm not bloated like I used to be. I'm like, you're welcome. I know right. because you weren't getting any fiber. Ta -da. They're like, my, ta-da, it's so weird. I ate an apple and drank some water today. And look at that. And it's so funny how much like, you know, people don't think about how water intake. And like the average patient I talk to, when you talk to them about so how many fruits do you eat a day? And that, their face is like, oh, um, yeah. How many vegetables do you have a day? And I'm like, I mean, uh, you know, but how much processed food do you have a day all day long? You yeah. know, from breakfast yeah. to lunch to dinner. How many meats do you have today? You know, they have meat for breakfast, lunch, dinner, sometimes double meats. They had bacon wrapped Brussels sprouts and on top of their <laughs> steak, Brussels you know, <laughs> and they just ruined the poor Brussels sprout. Uh, <laughs> so it's like all of these things that, you know, are, are not horrible, but I also talk to them about, and when we say total digestive care, it's everything. It's like a therapy session in here because I'm talking about what's happening in your job, what's happening with your mm. significant other, what's happening with your kids, um, who had COVID, who just passed away. Um, how is working from home while dealing with children working for you? What is, what else is going on? How is your sleep? Um, do you have any other medical problems? Do you have, you know, thyroid disease? Do you have, you know, some hormonal imbalances that we need to get you in with with your gynecologist, do you have like a rheumatologic disorder where you're on a medicine that's weight positive? And let me talk to them so we can switch you to a similar medication, but that's weight neutral. That's not going to make you gain weight. That's pretty. So that's, we look at everything. That's, that's you know? pretty dope. Like <clears throat> it, it's it's like turning the medical profession on its head, right? Or really just calling it out. Like you all, um, 
pretty much saying, you know, the, <laughs> the world, really the world, Western culture has done this thing wrong. And now it's time to to flip that around. And, and, and you, you said something interesting that really kind of stuck with me in regards to not only like this holistic, you know, piece, but and I, I literally sat there and thought that I've never spent more than 15 minutes with my doctor. Regardless of, of which, right? The longest I've probably mm-hmm. had a doctor's office is the dentist. And that's just because they're behind, right? But you mm-hmm. only see the dentist <laughs> for five minutes when he comes and looks at what the what the hygienist did, right? And mm-hmm. just, you know, all those types of things. And so to that point of saying, I have a this is my health. I need to have a conversation about my total health. You don't exactly. have that. I mean, which was supposed to be that primary care physician, but you don't, it's, it's just in and but you, out. But, but they kill the primary care physicians because they, they kill them with like overhead and like all of these documentations. Mm. And so it, it sort of sucks because it's hard for them to do their jobs. And I feel bad for like primary care doctors yeah. because in order for them to keep lights on and pay their staff, they have to keep patients in the mm. door like that. And so, and then in turn, what that means for you is each visit, you can talk about one thing. Yeah. And so you have to keep coming back and taking off work, too. And it's literally because they don't have time because the way the system is set up, the way reimbursement is set up. They keep they re, they decrease reimbursements every year. And everybody thinks doctors make so much money. I'm like, first of all, we're in debt. Let me tell you this. And secondly, <laughs> this stuff is not cheap to keep these doors right. open. Right. Um, so, so, that, so I feel so, bad. Yeah. So so to that. Right. Um, and we're, we're, we're kind of. We can keep we can keep talking. I have, there's so much stuff I want to ask. We have to have a, a follow up. We have to do a round two. Let's yes, do it. Yes. But um, one, how then do you get people to to actually sign up and say, I want to do this path. Right. The Janice path versus the regular, the you know, regular path. And then yeah. um, we'll kind of talk about uh, some of the, the challenges in the in the sphere that you are and everything like that. Yeah. OK, so for me, I think it's. I, and what I do is I do what's called a membership plan for my patients. Okay. Um, and so I tell them I liken it to a gym membership and that is, and it's for accountability. And I show them the data behind what happens if you have somebody that you're accountable to. Um, it's just like I explained to them when I went to, before these COVID times, when I went to Orange Theory, I was accountable. I would work mm. out, I would work out that entire hour. I would challenge myself because as people are watching my number on the board and I'm like competing with this guy next to me, even though he doesn't know we're in a competition. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So you have that accountability. Um, when the coaches are like, oh, I haven't seen you in a while. You feel like low key bad. You're right. like, oh, I got to get it myself together. So that's sort of, and like my patients will tell me, man, I almost got X off the menu. Then I swear I saw your face and decided I don't need that. I'm not going to get it. Um, and so I, so I do like a membership plan. So where people have sort of kind of follow up that is sort of a goals that we set. And so, and I think the other thing is setting small goals when people do these drastic, crazy diets, I don't call what we do diets. I call them it's a lifestyle. And I tell them it's not a diet. This is, I want you to be able to go, I can go out. I'm plant-based. I can go out to eat anywhere from anybody and nobody has to change the restaurant for me. I can always find things on the menu. And I don't know, that's my goal to try to teach people how to be able to, to do that. And you don't have to be weirdo. Like one of my guys was like, I don't want to be like a weirdo when I'm going out telling people, oh my God, I'm vegan and I can't have. <laughs> and I'm like, you don't have to do that, first of all. Um, and But I also teach people about sort of, because now like it's cool to be plant-based, like right. you said, or cool to be vegan. But I'll tell them it's, they, these marketing people are smart. They have transitioned over and now they make all this plant-based stuff and it's all still full of crap. Mm. Um, I was like, so you can't Don't just go down that. the aisle. Don't tell me that. 
Sorry. I teach labels too. So we all talk about like looking at labels. And so just because sometimes the, the front, they're very good at marketing. The front label will say, oh my God, you know, organic, low calorie, low carb, organic, plant-based, like all these little buzzwords that people love to see, but you turn it around the back and there's 65 ingredients. And I was like, no, we, no, when you turn it around, we, these are things we don't want to see. And, you know, we kind of go through it all. So, but, so, because there's so, junk plant based foods. Too. So, so, you have, don't tell my wife that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, so you have the subscription model, which is awesome because people will commit to what they pay for, right? Exactly. Which is, which we can see collectively across so many things, right? I mean, that's why Netflix and all this other stuff is so, um, so, so popular here. Um, do you feel that, uh, do you feel that what you're doing is revolutionary or do you believe that we will start seeing more um, try to follow your model and, and, and actually treat people? Um, oh, and one thing I'll say is even yeah. with the membership, I do, um, I'll do forms for patients so we can, I can have them submit it to their insurer. And sometimes they get, most of the time they get reimbursed some, nice. so maybe not the whole thing. And the sad thing is the insurer will reimburse them if they already have a medical condition, like if they already have diabetes or high blood pressure. But it's super sad that the people who don't have it yet, I'm like, you know, they're going to. So anyhow, that's my other soapbox thing. But um, I do think it's, it's never, no gastroenterologist in the country has a practice in which they are strongly focused in nutrition, the pharmacologic therapy, and, and sort of the bariatric procedures right. as well. So, um, but there are practices that have started sort of, you know, membership type style things um, that give more time because yeah. some primary care doctors have decided the only way I'm going to be able to actually talk to my patients is to sort of have this sort of model because it's only we're going to be able to pay for things um, is to have patients pay for a membership, but they're also getting an hour with their primary care doctor. They also right. can email them and get a response. That's because the doctor isn't overwhelmed with 3000 patients, right? That's good. Um, so those are, those models are popping up more and more. And I think people who are getting patients who are getting sick of like, you know, the phone tree, if you call Georgetown, you're going to live on this phone tree. You're going to be on hold. You got to wait for the administrative assistance. You got to wait for this person. They got to email, you know, yeah. so it's a bunch of layers that you have to go through in like a normal medical system. So I do think it's revolutionary, especially in the weight management sort of idea. There's these weight loss meals around here that people like just give people pills and, you know, yeah, no. and like while pharmacologic therapy, I do use that as well, but I still, I have to tell, I'm like, it is not, nothing is magical. Mm. Like you can, and, and like I tell patients too, like everybody was doing a ketogenic diet because who was a one of diet where they can eat bacon all day. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> like I tell all of my patients, if I don't care if you get down to 150 pounds, I said, just, I know you've probably never seen it, but nobody is cute intubated. Mm. No one. When you're intubated from a heart attack or because you've had a stroke and you can't swallow and then I have to come in and I have to put a, a peg tube, a feeding tube in your stomach. I was like, it's it's not you're not going to wake up and feel, oh, my God, I'm, I'm still cute. I'm 150 pounds. I was like, so is it worth it to have cardiovascular disease and eat all of this bacon and lose weight sort of the that way? Because I don't and I can see you will lose weight on it. You will. Right. I said, but it matters sort of how, how you do it and what's happening on the inside is what I care about. She just came for all your bacon eaters. Just FYI. I'm just saying, you don't, I'm just saying anytime <laughs> the World Health Organization deems a food, a carcinogenic risk, like any processed meat, I, it's something, if the, if the government is telling you something is bad and they never tell you things are bad, then just saying, All you right. might want to step back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. In our last, last few minutes here, I, I, I don't right. want to overlook how this, I mean, 
your story is amazing, right? And the stuff that you're doing, we're going to be already, it's been in articles and stuff like this all over the DC mat and all over social and stuff like that. So people are taking notice. Um, but super women, you know, have, have challenges as well. Right. And so, um, in our, in our last few minutes here, not to minimize it or anything like that, what, what, what do you feel are for you in this space? Right. Just, you know, you, you've been, 15 plus years getting to where you are now, right? The doors are open. You're sitting in your office. It looks like a sunny day in DC right now. Um, Thankfully. What, 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 what do you, to the other super women out there, maybe I'll put it like that. What, what's your, um, your motivator or the thing that keeps you going that, that doesn't, um, that, that doesn't allow for you to kind of collapse under the weight of not only, the pressures you put on yourself, but also kind of this worldly thing of everyone looking to see if what you are doing actually will work. Like what's your motivation and how do you motivate the other super women? Um, that's man, that's a big one. Um, and I have been talking to a lot of women about that recently, but, um, for me, um, it's, it, it started sort of back in fellowship when I was like, oh my God, I'm over all of this. I don't even, I'm so tired. Yeah. Like when yeah. is this ever going to get better? Um, and then it just started for me, it started with meditation and yoga and sort of centering myself. Um, and getting present is a gift mm. to yourself. Um, getting, um, being able to be introspective and to figure out what it is you actually want, because had I stayed in that space, I don't think I ever would have done this because that fear sets in and you are so wrapped up in what you're supposed to do because everybody was like talking so much trash about me <laughs> for not staying at Georgetown. <laughs> oh my God, she's doing locums like gas, clutch your pearls. Like, oh my God, what she has no, she's so confused. She has no idea what she's doing. What, where do we go wrong with this one? Wow. You know what I mean? Wow. And so having to, have be steadfast and be present enough to know that I had a plan, even though it was not clear to anyone else. Um, I knew the plan was big. I knew it was, I had, I didn't know how I was going to do it. Um, took a lot of research and I think getting into that space of finding what's right for you, finding what's in sort of blocking out all of the, the noise and all of the supposed tos and what you should do. Um, and finding out sort of what is your piece. And that's what keeps me going. And when I walk in here, I'm grateful every single day. I'm like, I'm doing what I want to do, no matter how hard I work, no matter if I'm up at one in the morning, you know, my patron's like, why were you returning the email that late? I'm like, I should have scheduled it the same the next day because I tell them (laughs) to like, stop working. I'm always like, guys, close your computer at five, no more working. And then here I am, pot called meat in the kettle. Um, but yeah, and so I think that is the, I think starting there, That's I think good. starting with you and we don't, we don't start with us enough in this country. We That's don't, good. we don't, we don't put us first enough and actually listening to that, that voice. That's good. That's a perfect bow on it. I got a, so many other questions, but we're going to. Okay. Gonna let's do up. this again. I got so much. We got no, a lot no. Cause about. my, my last like question was going to be, can you fix my gut? But we'll, that's going to be my, that's going to be the, the topic. All right. Of the let's, next let's one. go. Let's start next time. <laughs> All right. So, um, how, how do people get in touch with you, right? One, two, for multiple reasons. Maybe there's a young lady that's that's looking at pre-med or even in med school right now that is like, man, I would love to be able to connect and have her as a mentor or people that yeah. are saying, man, I love what she's doing. How can she be my doctor? How do people get in touch and, and yeah. be able to connect? So um, my website has sort of everything. It's guttheoryhealth.com. 
um, emailing us as well, info at guttheoryhealth.com. Um, and also give us a call, 888-755-GUT1. I was, so, gonna, I was wondering if you're going to have like a gut on there, you know. Oh, yeah. Got, got to. <laughs> got to. Well, thank you so much sure. for joining today. This was awesome. Man. It was so much fun. Good, good talk. We could talk forever. Oh, clearly. yes. yes. <laughs> but I know I know that you're busy. I know that you got the grind. So I appreciate it. And for Patient all the- and four minutes. There it is. So everyone that's, <laughs> that's been on here, we appreciate you all for listening. Please uh, rate, review, like, subscribe, share. Um, this helps us to be able to get this word out. And there's so many good nuggets about your own total health uh, in this in this uh, discussion. So we appreciate it. And uh, for everyone else, we will see you after a while.